It's a non-core banger. Dr. Ross dropping knowledge to the masses. Man, you now tuned in to purpose and practice. Ay, yeah, purpose and practice. Keep your mental sharp. Uh, learn all the tactics. Dr. Ross dropping knowledge to the masses. Man, you now tuned in to purpose and practice. Ay, yeah, purpose and practice. Podcast game. Ay, he got it mastered. Peace, 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 peace to the community. We are back with another episode of the Purpose and Practice podcast uh, with your host, Dr. Rawls Dill. Um, we're here in a Sunday morning. You know, we this is our first Sunday morning uh, broadcast. Uh, we're coming at you live and direct, 11.30 a.m. on the East Coast. Um, I wanted to, you know, you know what we're all about here, purpose and practice. Uh, we believe in the Sankofa method. Uh, we believe Sankofa as a verb, meaning to reach back and bring forward. We are constantly, constantly reaching back into our history to bring forward, to understand the places and spaces that we're in and how we're occupying those spaces and places and being efficient users of time and energy and talent. Um, we have been doing educator spotlights lately, and today we're going to be doing a, another educator spotlight uh, with a great brother that I've had an opportunity to know over the last about 10 years, I think, uh, when, when we first met. Um, and that is the the brother Isaiah Jones. Um, I want to before we before we get into you know uh, talking and speaking with Isaiah. Um, I first want to bring light once again um, to our sister uh, Brianna Taylor, and I just wanted to put on the screen. Um, you know, silence is violence, and your vote is your voice. Without the approach that I want to put out there, you know, is getting out and vote. And when I say get out and vote, I'm not only talking about uh, presidential elections. I'm talking about, you know, local. I think, you know, we have to start thinking more local in terms of, you know, who are on our local governing boards um, and how we are exercising our voice in terms of electing those folks into those positions and then holding them accountable. So I'm talking about your local school board members. I'm talking about uh, your city council members, uh, your local mayor, uh, th those races are really, really critical. Sometimes I think we lose we lose focus on that community piece, which we'll be talking a lot about today. But the way that we impact and affect change uh, is through that medium, you know, and starting getting some policies changed and things of that nature. Um, and specifically when we're talking about the lives of, of black and brown people in being cut short, um, you know, whether it's due to police brutality, um, or otherwise, or other systematic ways that we our lives are being cut short. With with that said, um, you know I think it's always good to check in, and I want to check in on the brother Isaiah and Isaiah Jones, uh, who I have said you know I met I met this brother back I would say when I started doing work in Asbury Park, New Jersey, in education. Um, I believe there was a community event. I, I he I think uh, Isaiah, you were working. Uh, at the time as at the, maybe the Boys and Girls Club. 
Yep. And um, and I had reached out because uh, Isaiah was looking for folks to do some uh, volunteering or donating and things for uh, a, an event for the youth. And um, I reached out to the brother and he was so receptive. And he was someone, you know, me coming from another community. Um, I was coming from another school district. He really, you know, embraced me and, and welcomed me um, to Asbury Park. And I will always be, you know, thankful you know, uh, for that brother. So, you know, this brother has been doing community work. Um, he's now entered into the realm of education. And I was like, we got to get Isaiah on to the spotlight and see what's going on in his world. So Isaiah, how you feeling, fam? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain, man. Um, you know, strange times we living in, but when I do more of a, uh, I hone in on my immediate cipher, my family. I'm I'm blessed. That's great, man. That's that's great. That's great. What what we like to do, Isaiah, if you could just give us, you know, a little background about what you're doing right now. Um, you know, in this current uh, moment, professionally, uh, entrepreneurially, what what have you? If you can give the communities uh, just a taste of what you're doing. Okay, well, um, you know, I'm entering this school. I'm in the midst of my third year in education. Um, I teach high school social studies. Uh, so right now, for the first semester, I'm teaching seniors, U.S. History 2. Uh, and um, second semester, which is dope, I'm teaching U.S. History 1, but I'm also teaching civics. So I'm excited about that. Um, my first year teaching, I taught elementary school, middle school, um, sixth graders. Uh, but um, and outside of education, um, you know, I'm still trying to develop the nonprofit I'm a part of called the Necessary Troublemakers. You know, we kind of slowed down because uh, myself and, and my uh, colleagues who started it, we, you know, we got our professional lives that we're trying to balance as well as family. Uh, so it's been difficult to do all of those at the same time. So True. that's pretty much where I'm at right now. So you you got your hands full, man. You you uh, you teaching those babies. Uh, and right now, you know, to, to be teaching U.S. History One, U.S. History Two, and then civics, that it's no better to me. There's no better space to be in as a teacher, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, love it. that that's what's up. And um, the necessary troublemakers. Um, it's funny because I remember the podcast, and yes. it was you know when I think about those, you know those. Uh, those projects that inspired what I'm doing today, that again was one of those projects, uh, the the necessary uh, 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 troublemakers. And yeah. I remember tuning in, and this was like, man, I what was that five, six years ago when y'all started. Yes, that? Yes. We, we was doing it to tell in the Obama administration. We were doing yeah. shows right after Mike Brown got killed. So we were, yeah. you know, I was we was kind of early. I mean, it been around the media, been around for some time, but it didn't expand as popular as it is now. Yes. And and that was one of the reasons why, and, you know, and I spoke about Sankofa, you know, in, in reaching back and bringing forward, because that is part of, believe it or not, that podcast is part of my history. 
because mm. you know it was one of those things that inspired me that put the the idea and spark into my mind of like yo I'm, i want to start something like that and then bringing you forward on the show you know mm. is, is paying homage you know pay homage to you so so in in the group that created that that podcast and um, i'm looking forward to what you know when y'all get it back i understand how times are and we got to move you know um but uh hopefully you do y'all all get it back going man because that was a yeah. that was a great 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 thank show you, thank you i, I was no a lot of, I was, I was worried about this whole cancel culture um you know i i i, I live by the code i'm not going to say anything online that i won't say in person Mm -hmm. But I, I felt like in order for stuff to pop, as far as content goes, you almost had to be like controversial. And and, and I wasn't into the gimmicks. I wasn't trying to say something for shock value. And sometimes, you know, just just the preparation was difficult. Like I wanted to be thorough with our preparation. Yes. So it was like, yeah, this is becoming difficult. And <laughs> we kind of fell back because I was like, I don't want to say something that's going to get me in trouble. Mm -hmm. It just was a lot of factors that made me fall back from it. And, and that, you know, it's. I'm happy that you brought that up because first of all, the production that goes into shows, um, mm -hmm. many times we, we see the product of a show and we don't see what's going on behind the scenes, the research that it takes, the fact checking that it takes, um, mm -hmm. you know, like that's heavy lifting, that's heavy work. And like you said, that cancel culture, you know, that is out there. Um, and I think about, you know, I think about our leaders who come, who came before us, uh, black and brown people who, whether they were civil rights leaders, uh, abolitionists, or what have you, there was always a tax to speaking the truth. And, you know, that sometimes was a life. That was your life was the tax that you had to pay for speaking the truth. Livelihood was a tax that you had to you had to pay uh, to speak in the truth. There are many folks out there, you know, they have jobs, they have professions, they're afraid to to voice an opinion because they think that that may come back somehow and impact, you know. So you become voiceless in many ways. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it, it's it's real, and and that's why I always like to to pay homage to those who've come before us because that tax to speak the truth is real. You know, it, it it definitely it definitely is is real. So before we get too deep, and we may get deep right now, because <laughs> what I like to do, what I like to do, fam, is I like to go back. You know, we know you hear Isaiah Jones right now is the teacher, the educator, uh, father, you know, family man, um, you know, content creator, doing the work in the community. But if you can take us back to your early years growing up. Um, and what those years were like and how they how they shaped and, and molded you and nurtured you. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, I'm from Asbury Park. That's why I made sure I repped this, this shirt right here. I love Asbury Park. So uh, <laughs> no doubt. Park, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I had to be very strategic, even with my background. <laughs> I'm not going to come here. You know what I mean? Black business, the museum yes. in D.C. plus the 68 Olympic picture behind me. But uh, coming from Asbury Park, um, you know, I, I, I had such a. A, a variety of influences that kind of got me here. And, um, you know, I mean, I had the streets influence, the, the, the nation of gods and earths was heavy on my development, um, as well as, um, you know, hip hop, uh, my fi family dynamic. And um, those were all the different ingredients that went into this, you know, dish that life has created. You know what I'm saying? Yes. 
Uh, so it's, it's so many different things I can, I can pull from, but that's that's really it. Like, I, I feel like I, I attribute a lot of different things from a lot of people I was influenced by. You know what I mean? The hustlers, you know, the, the, the poor righteous teachers on the block, mm. Um, mm. my teachers that I had in school, and just the culture, you know what I mean? So I have I have I created a lot of different different uh, philosophies based off of my development. I feel that you that people I feel can relate to if you're from community I'm from. You know what I mean? And and what I'm what I'm really say is, you know, I, I felt like um, you know, I always was kind of smart. I, I, well, people told me I was smart. I feel like that's calling yourself smart is kind of cocky. And I don't know if I like to identify with that, but um, I was curious. But um. Mm. You know, I felt like sometimes people sacrifice being intelligent for being cool, athletic, funny, or tough, right? Yes. And yes. I was like, you know what? I, I, I feel like I, you don't have to do that. Like, I feel like you can have all of those in one person. And I feel like Asbury gave me the cool, the toughness, but also my curiosity gave me the, the, the yearning to be intellectually, um, you know, I mean, as smart as possible. Yes. And, um, you know, seeing people like one of my big homies, uh, see Allah, being someone that embodied those you know, different parts of Asbury Park that I was like, okay, so I don't got to be corny nerd to be, you know what I mean, a professional. I, I still love hip hop and dress the way I dress and still, you know what I mean, be respected in all aspects of life. So yes. I try to be rounded like that. Yo, you, you just, you dropped so many jewels there, fam. And mm -hmm. first, you know, I have to, I have to admit that first of all, that almost like anti-intellectualism, like, you know, in terms of like, you mentioned, you can be athletic, crazy athletic, but still be intelligent. Um, you can have swag, you can, you know, you, you, you can dress, you can have style, whatever you want to call it, you know, but still be, you know, in, an intellectual and still strive for, for knowledge. Um, and we all know knowledge is infinite. Um, yes. You brought you you brought up some of the influences, you know, and and I think that those community influences are very very important, and they come in different forms and fashions. You know, uh, sometimes we dismiss you know certain communities uh, because they don't. We, in, in terms of you know, when I say we, I don't mean us in our community, but outside communities may dismiss certain voices within communities um, in, in inner cities. Um, and can you talk about that, though? Because I think that accepting, you know, those voices in our community uh, and learning from those voices and those folks in our community is very important, but I don't think it's always encouraged you know, by systems, whether it's a school system or so on and so forth. Can you just talk about the importance of, you know, getting these diverse and collective, you know, uh, community figures and, and learning from them and, and what they bring to the table? Uh, yes. Um, I just feel like you can't be intellectually lazy and just just dismiss something because you don't want to look deeper into it. Because, I mean, I have people telling me, oh, I, I grew up in the project. He was like, why you live there? Like, as if I had a choice. Or oh, you go to Asbury, so y'all dumb. And that just wasn't the case. Like some of the smartest people I've ever known are from my town. And I mean, it's just the individual and just their village that uh, to me just makes that person to who they are. And you can't just, you know, I, and, and again, I pull from even some of the principles in psychology as far as uh, nurture over nature almost, like right? Like it's how you are brought up determines how you're gonna become in the environment you're from. So, um, you know, I, I again, and it's also perspective too, because you know, some people can either look at their surroundings and use it as an excuse to 
to mimic that behavior that made that environment mm. like that or use as an excuse to propel you beyond that circumstance. So I always use that. Like I had, you know, I come from a single parent home. My father and I didn't have the best relationship growing up, but uh, I looked at it like that's going to propel me to be a better father, not to, you know, subject my daughter to the same experience that I had. Um, so it's about perspective. And um, that's literally the, the glass half empty, the glass half full uh, outlook. So, you know, that's one of the, 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 the uh, driving forces behind my perspective on growing up in Asbury and just the people I've encountered. You know what I mean? Wow. Thank you, fam. But definitely a shout out. Shout out to, to Asbury, the brothers and sisters in Asbury Park um, does not always get the recognition that needs to be that is deserved, man. Um, believe it or not, I grew up in As in Asbury Park. Um, I spent a lot of my early years in Asbury Park. I always went to school in Long Branch, but we lived, you know, in Asbury Park. Okay. Um, yeah, man, we lived over on Fourth. I lived over on Fourth and Pine, um, mm. and then I lived over on the other side of Fourth, over by where it used to be Cumberland Farms. I don't know what's there now, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we we grew up there, you know. So I, I definitely have always, you know, and then, and when you talked about the intelligence um, of the folks there, man, I think of, you know, uh, Islam, I think, and, and, and shout out to, yeah. to Mario yeah. Gagnetti, I'm repping one yeah. of the shirts today um, it, it, to salute Asbury Park, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned CLI, you know, those, those are brothers that, yo, dynamic, dynamic, intelligent brothers, you know, and, and yeah. I think that sometimes, you know, we don't do our best part in terms of making sure that we are understanding and preserving those different those part those perspectives uh, that are in our neighborhoods, you know, mm -hmm. um, in our communities. So definitely a shout out to a huge shout out to to Asbury Park. Um, and you mentioned like relationships with with your dad, um, mm -hmm. and you described it as it may not have always been you know the best, but what you the best part that you took out of it. Um, if you don't mind just just speaking a little bit more about, you know, how you manage to take the best part out of, you know, that relationship that may not have been, you know, the relationship you wish for. Um, you know, uh, one thing that my father and I, my, my relationship taught me was um, it really just taught me to really just stand on principle and, and just being a man of your word, integrity. You know, my father, you know, he displayed these uh these values in different ways, but uh, some of the things he lacked, it just made me be stronger in, in my development. Um, and also just realizing that presence matters more than presence, mm. you know, because when I was younger, I thought, you know, presence mm. getting a pair of Jordans for Christmas and, and, and uh, Easter was everything. Meanwhile, my mother's providing for everything between. And um, just because I was loving the uh, uh, the recognition I was getting from my peers, I put value in that when that wasn't even providing food or, or the time that I needed. Um, so, again, you know, you, you grow and you understand what, what matters more. So, you know, that, that made me just really hone in on experiences with my daughter and, and just being present as much as possible. So, again, principles and, and just, you know, standing on integrity like that's what i got from my father and um but also he he has been a, a person that always spoke like life into me encouraging and just telling me to to never settle you know what i mean like he has flaws and we are we came full 180 right we went the total opposite direction in my adult years because i took the pressure off of him i said listen don't promise me nothing let's just have conversations about life 
about perspective on how I should deal with things. So I think, you know, just those are the things I took from my relationship with my father and it, it has helped me become the man that I am now and, and still growing to be. If you if you don't mind asking and, you know, and I appreciate you being your honesty. Um, if you don't if you don't mind answering this, when when you said because I don't know what age you were when you were like, I'm going to take that pressure off. Like, because you just slipped, you slipped that in, but that's heavy. <laughs> like, so I don't know if you were like, if you were younger when you did that, because I have a similar story, but I, I'm interested in hearing like what age you were when you had that thought or around about age, when you had that thought, like, let me take some pressure off, you know, my dad, like what, what age were you, what, do you think when you did that? I think I, I've come to articulate that, that thought in such a concise way over the past several years, but it's something I've always been leaning towards since I was in college because he always was promising me stuff like I'm gonna bring you a car, or, I'm gonna get you this. And I feel like he was doing that because he remembered how I used to love getting new sneakers. But that's not what, what I cared about as I got older. I'm looking like, man, I wanna talk about football. I wanna talk about women. I wanna talk about, <laughs> yes. like, I wanna talk about how do I should deal with credit or, or, or mm. being disciplined. Just certain things mm. that's gonna take me further in life. And then as I got in, in, in like, obviously at 35, like we was having back and forth arguments and, you know, you know, difficult times. And then I was so worried about life being so short that if I hold a grudge and cut them off, then something, God forbid, something happened and I, I wouldn't have a chance to mend that relationship. So I just was like, you know what, dad, listen, you know, you don't got to promise me nothing. I'm good. Like I work, I'm able to sustain for myself. I'm independent. Just, just give me that, that wisdom that, so I don't make those mistakes because I really believe in, you know, the, the smart people learn from their mistakes. Why people learn from the mistakes of others. I want to learn from his mistakes. Mm, and, mm. And, and so, you know, when I, when I articulate that to him, he just been trying to be more of a man of his word and, and also being uh, more, more self-aware. Like, all right, I know you, cause I'd be like, all right, cause I, I don't want to just call him a liar or like whatever. I just be like, uh-huh. He picked up on that. So he'd be like, all right, I know uh, you think I might do, but I am, I'm going to show you. I'm like, all right. It's like, you know, you don't have to do that. Okay. So I think, you know, these past couple of years has allowed me to articulate that in that way. Though that that right there, that's a whole show, you know, um, <laughs> where, you know, because that pressure, you know, I had a similar situation with my dad, man. I was like, you know, that all I want is a little time, you know, um, and then it, it got to a space where when I started moving on in my life and creating a family, I wanted more of a history of a man, you know, and and I think that that's when I was like, I want to go tighten up that relationship with my dad, um, which was always kind of like it it was scattered, man. You know, there were there were those good years, and then there was years of us not talking, you know. And when I was going to to move on in terms of being uh, having a, a family, being married, having children, I was like, yo, I it was almost like I need to learn some of my history. And I felt like I needed those man talks at that at that point, you know. So I, you know, I kind that resonated with me, man. And I and I think that that's not always easy to do to take that pressure off. And it's not always easy for dads because you know, and moms, it's it's the same with parents. Period. Um, but but I think that that you know that's a gym. That's that's definitely a gym that you just that you just dropped. Can can you tell you know? Yeah, no doubt, man. Can you tell us? You know, how those things, right? You just spoke a lot about some interpersonal relationships between you and your dad. Um, how, how did those things impact you in terms of 
or did they impact you in terms of career choice, in terms of the things that you're doing now? You know, did you fall into this, you know, like teacher, uh, community activist, or did those experiences influence that? Some, you know, some aspects of my father influenced me to get here. Like my father was really big on public enemy back in the day. Um, of course, I just grew up in the era of hip hop where they was had the medallions, the uh, mm -hmm. anti-apartheid hip hop was heavy back in the uh, late 80s when I was really coming of age, uh, us you know, watching school days and just being having that, uh, you know, pro-black influence in my house. But one of the things that got me to education was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Wow. And um, it reminded me of when you said Sankofa mean to reach yes. back and bring forward. I remember Malcolm X talked about the black bourgeois. He was saying yes. how, you know, they get educated, they go to the hills, leave the rest people struggling in the ghetto. And I just felt like I didn't want that to be me. And also I just worried people would look at me differently um, when I came back from college thinking, that, oh, I think I'm better because again, like you said, the anti-intellectual mentality in our communities. Um, and it's not even, it wasn't even as bad as I thought it would be, but that's how I thought it would be. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I want to show them that, you know, an uh, uh, educator doesn't have to be like we always assume them to be. Because I think if, if students could see themselves in their teacher, that might make them embrace their intellectual side rather than think it's corny. So I wanted to, to, to you know, give that back. And also, I just wanted to take responsibility for my community, too. Like, you know what I mean? We have to take responsibility and and try to do something to change this instead of just always complaining. I'm going to be solutions oriented. True. True. You, you know, you, you mentioned a book, um, one that definitely changed my life. Um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, and, and one of the things that you mentioned is coming back from college. Okay. Well, let's start, you know, you leave your community, you know, and in your case, you go off to William Patterson, correct? Yep. All right. Uh, shout out to Willie P. Uh, yes, so you go, you go out to William Patterson. Um, you you come back to the community, and that is not always easy. And and it's funny because in many ways Malcolm's journey was similar. Um, you know, it was like you know now now his his leaving was a little different. Um, but you know, but it was it was kind of parallel, and then coming back and being a leader amongst communities that maybe you always weren't a leader in. Um, because and you come back and it's like, all right, I'm keeping it real. Cause we have that struggle where it's like, all right, I'm keeping it real. But at the same time, it's like, I'm a professional, you know? And then it's like, I got, I got my peoples that I always chill with. Um, but they may not always be making the decisions that's going to put me in the best situation. It's like this line. <laughs> that, you know, you know, and I, I know, and I'm speaking from my own experience, uh, is there's this dance that we do. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I had some, um, some people earlier on the show and we were talking about imposter syndrome. We were talking about, um, um, what is slipping my mind? Um, Jesus, the, the term is slipping my mind. Oh, survivors, survivors, remorse, survivors, guilt, right? Can you, you, you know, which basically is, is like, yo, I, how did I make it out of this maze? And then there's brothers and sisters who grew up in the same environment who I know deserve to be out of this maze too, you know? And, and, and you know, if you could talk to, to that, man, the difficulty of navigating, you know, those spaces. Yeah. Um, 
you know, my peers, a lot of my peers, some of my best friends growing up are no longer here or, you know, done a lot of time in the system, whether they're state or feds and honor roll students or just people that I would like, you know, would, would stump me if we had debates. <laughs> True. And, um, like you said, I was really scrolling through one of my friends who was uh, murdered a few years ago. I was scrolling through his Instagram yesterday. I, I wound up scrolling back like years because he passed in 2017. Thinking about something we went through when we were younger and just, you know, feeling like, damn, if he maybe would have saw things differently, you know, maybe he would have took a different approach to life and, and could have been like a boss or, mm. or educator because he was yes. always like a scholar and real, real strong logic and um it just was like you said i i felt guilty sometimes coming home i thought people would think i changed and um you know it took it took maturity to realize like no you know you are who you are and and, and you know, they're going to respect that regardless and, and, and i always had that respect so i don't know i, I don't want to ramble too much but i don't know if that answers your question specifically but that's kind of how i look at things but i i think you know it, it goes back to originally what, what we were talking about um, in validating our communities um, and being a leader within the community and of the community and being somebody that we, you know, folks can touch and feel. I think that that's important, but there's sometimes we get education, you know, to go back to your original thought, folks get education for different reasons. <laughs> sometimes folks get education to escape whether it's poverty, whether it's a situation or a lifestyle or community, you know, others get education to say, all right, how can I bring this knowledge back to the community and impact change within the community? I find that, I find that those who do that, who bring that information back, that, that knowledge back and uplift the community, no matter what, the community is going to have a genuine love for that, for that brother, for that sister. Um, you know, not saying it's not, it's easy, but there is going to be a, a genuine love. I, I left, I went, I grew up in Long Branch, left, went to college, came back to the community and then came back as a teacher. Okay. And then came and then was as, as a principal and it wasn't always easy. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't always easy, but I felt that, you know, uplifting the community was, was one of my one of my jobs and responsibilities, you know, and getting that education. So, you know, thank you for sharing that, man. You you definitely did. And don't be afraid of rambling because I feel like you got a lot of jewels in you and they need to come out. <laughs> so, you know, definitely don't, do not hold, do not hold back, fam. Um, speaking, you know, and I, I mentioned the term imposter syndrome and, and being in spaces and maybe not believing that you're supposed to be in those spaces um, and not having that confidence that, yo, this is where I belong. Can you can you talk to any experiences that you might have had, whether they be professionally or academically, where you felt where you felt that at any time? I struggle with that sometimes now. Um, you know, I, I, I work with there's only a few uh, black educators at my uh, in my school district, and um, you know, we just recently picked up an administrator. She's my coach, and I'm real happy to have a coach with such a strong, solid background. Um, so sometimes like when we in meetings, you know, I, I forget that I'm just only my third year teaching and I went the alternate route. Right. So mm -hmm. 
some of the terms and things that they say, I'm looking like, damn, they sharp. And I don't know nothing mm-hmm. about that. So I think that, again, that I, I, I question myself. But then, you know, sometimes I'll add something to it that they didn't think about from my experience. And they look at it like, wow, I didn't think about it like that. So, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, it takes a lot of uh, self-confidence to just remind you, like, yo, I belong to be, I, I deserve to be just as much as the next person. True. But occasionally, you know, when you aren't able to talk about education from the technical aspect like everyone else has been trained to that that's sometimes why i struggle like uh, i feel inadequate so i'm gonna just i'm gonna do i'm gonna just play the wall and just listen and that's why i'm at right now but again it's only my third year so i have to also remind myself that like this is my third year mm-hmm. so I, I maybe i should stop putting so much pressure on myself just continue to be curious and also pull on my wife because my wife is like a 10th year teaching and and, and, and oh, she okay. and i have conversations about just like this approach and and she helps me out so much. So just pulling on all those different influences and resources and, and just can just just having patience with myself. That's keep me from feeling like the imposter within my profession. True. And in and, and you know, building that community. And you you kind of spoke about that. You know, it sounds like there's a, there's a principal there that you know you're you're working with closely. Your yeah. wife, you mentioned, is an educator. So there you have that. Um, you you definitely have me. If there's anything that I can ever okay. assist, or you know, you know, def- because I think that building community um, is really really important. Um, and I think it's something that we we lose in education many times, mm. especially when we start talking about black and brown educators. Um, yeah. There's not always that you know that 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 community there. So, but I think when we start talking about imposter syndrome. We took we talked about it professionally, right? Um, and now here you are as a teacher, as an educator, and you're having an opportunity to work with young people um, in in these brilliant minds that they have. But sometimes they may have doubts. Like how if you can talk to, as an educator, you know you you spoke earlier about your your, your father speaking life into you. If you can talk a little bit about your role, forget about the common core standards, the New Jersey student learning, forget about those things. Mm. What are what are some of the, the other deliverables that you bring into the classroom to create culture, to create climate, uh, and to help maybe students not fall victim to something like imposter syndrome? I think giving students multiple ways to interact, especially with this um, distance learning, right? My school is 100% distance learning, so uh, you know, I do a lot of cold calls for those that are unfamiliar with that term is when I just call on a student randomly to uh, contribute just to, it's a way to hold them accountable to make sure that they are engaged in the lesson. But for those that aren't comfortable speaking on the mic, you know, I let them text me or drop a comment in the chat and then I'll I'll bring it forth to the conversation. And and also not flat out saying that you're wrong. I, I look for something that can push the conversation forward so I can let them know that you are in the you like mm-hmm. use the old school of reference, like you're hot, you're hot, you're warm, mm-hmm. you're warming up. Mm-hmm. So they are close to being correct and finding that and just letting them know, like, okay, you're in the right direction. Why well, add it on to them and make them repeat the correct answer so that they can at least lead that conversation knowing what the right answer is. Um, and just you know, giving anybody a chance or even war- warning some of them. Like, I'll text a student, like, I'm about to come to you, I'm going to ask you this. The rest of the class <laughs> don't know I'm going to ask them this, but they know. So they know to get prepared and that just builds their confidence up. So when they're correct, they're like, oh, he got my back. He's not, he not trying to play me or embarrass me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, that, that's some of the ways that I, I'm able to build their confidence up. Um, and also just, I, I think I'm real good at analogies and, and making uh, past events and history uh, relevant to today or see parallels. So when I do that, you know, I think some of my students pick up on that. Like we were talking about mm. what is a limited, we're talking about the Great Depression and the New Deal. And mm. I'm asking about the role of government, how it expanded. And, um, you know, we talked, I said, what's an example of limited government, you know, a strong federal government. And one of my students, like limited government is similar to what this, the fund of police is. I, I broke down what the fund of police was. Okay. Was like, yeah, like giving all the money in the police budgets, but pulling it from the social services. And I was like, yes, like I, I love that. <laughs> my example yeah. of modern times and tie it to back then. So, um, you know, when they able to, to, you know, maybe put it in more modern terms, a concept of, from the past, you know, and by me using those examples of how I look at things like that, 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 that really helps them build confidence in themselves and how they see things. Wow. That, yo, that I, I loved everything, man. I loved everything from, yo, I'm gonna give you a heads up. I'm coming at you next. You know, yeah. I love that, you know, um, because believe it or not, that's showing love, <laughs> you know, like that, that's how, you know, that's a teacher showing love. And then what begins to grow is trust. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, and we know from all, you know, um, all research that, if a student is not, if, if there's any type of anxiety or if there's any type of, you know, uh, negative uh, relationship between teacher and between student, that learning is going to suffer. It's going to impede upon. And we know the opposite is true, too, is that if we if we develop strong relationships with students and there's a trust and a love, that learning is going to become more naturally because our brain doesn't function when we're in stress mode. It doesn't it, it doesn't function correctly. So as a teacher, you just talked about kind of providing you know, that feeling of belonging, you know, um, and I'm still holding you accountable, but I'm also coaching you and supporting you at the same time. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think that, that, that is definitely, you know, definitely peace, um, and definitely needed, you know, in, in our classrooms, you talked about being able to go back in history and then bring it forward and understanding how, you know, historical events um, may may have may still be the same or similar um, or parallel. If if you could, you know, the, the state that we're in right now, you know, and I don't know if you if you've reached this part in terms of uh, civil rights and, and things like that with your class, but can you talk to uh, some of the ways that you're engaging students? in conversations um, about, you know, racial injustice and, and, and racial unrest uh, that, that we're experiencing in this country right now? Because a lot of teachers are, they feel they're, they're afraid to have these conversations in, in classrooms. So can you share some of, you know, the, the ways that you're doing that? Um, you know, well, I think, now, this is something that the woke community on social media might be disappointed in me for. I just don't feel like it's my place sometimes to, to be subjective. Uh, you know, I try to be objective as the way I present the information. I'm going to teach you how to dig into it. And occasionally my personal opinion might slip out, but I try to check that as much as possible. But I do try to draw parallels. And one of the ways last year when I was teaching English History too, was I was teaching about the transition from the civil rights movement to the 70s because I see a lot of parallels. I see like, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated. America burned. Like the the the, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the we went 
crazy collectively as a black community. We was tired of our heroes being murdered. And then when Nixon administration came in, he tried to villainize the movement as criminals and call for this law and order. And I see a lot of parallels with the current administration. And and I would just always talk about, you know, you got to be careful, guys. These people, you know, they're masters at marketing. And 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 I love the Malcolm X quote because Malcolm X just has some bars. Like, if you're not careful, the media have you uh, loving the people doing the oppressing and hating those being oppressed. I might be saying mm. that wrong, but mm. just teaching the students how to pick up on propaganda. And, and I always use the hip model, right? The historical context, intended audience, purpose, and point of view. So if they can pick up on a point of view and the purpose of whoever's the deliverer of a message, they'll be able to see their intentions and the biases that they might have. So that's why I, I, I really hone in on those particular skills for people aren't fooled right now because everything is, is playing on emotions and, and, and not like, you know, and, and keeping people from being logical or, or objective or, or pulling from different examples to, to support a claim that they're making. So that's that's how I teach history. You know, whatever claim you have, you got to like show and prove. I always do like, you know. Yeah, true. I always go back to things that like, you got to show and prove. You can't just say that. You got to back that up. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to make you dig deeper. So that's the way I pull and the way I teach to, to deal with all this because we are at a time in history where it's information overload. It's, it's like hard, hard mm-hmm. to prioritize all the information that we get and, and distinguish between what's like just information and, and what isn't like propaganda. True. So, you know, that's why I love what I'm doing right now, teaching. True. That, yo, that in again so much you know i love that historical context purpose and the point of view I, mm-hmm. I love that um it's something that even with my own kids you know i'm trying to get them to understand because that's a skill those are skills that are going to help you just navigate life period you know um uh things we we would say is doing a knowledge you know mm-hmm. and, 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 and and you know from there once you do the knowledge and then you can act on it um so I definitely get I, I definitely get where you're coming from with, with with that. And I also get where you're coming from in terms of like, yo, I'm not this is not my time to indoctrinate children. Yes. This is not my this is not my time to say, you know, this is what Isaiah Jones believes. Um, but it's my time to say, all right, you just going to take this on face value or are you going to dig deep? into the research, you know, um, and, and that, you know, I think that that is the tool, you know, uh, that, that if, if there's something that we want to teach, it's that it's like, all right, because then naturally when they start learning about, they, they grasp this knowledge, they're going to be able to analyze because now they're going to be able to compare and contrast. Now they're going to be able to say, oh, this is similar, you know, to, to the civil rights or, you know, the new deal. This is, this is, uh, this, this law and order, um, you know, March that we're on is very similar to, to the Nixon administration and then be able to compose, you know, uh, essays and things on that. That's, you know, that's where, you know, you, that's where the, the education and, and the value of education, you know, is real. So, so definitely thank you. And, and I know that, you know, there is like, you know, sometimes people be like, you talked about the woke community um, and that they may, they may want you up there. Like, you know, nah, this is what we do. This is, you know, but there's, there's something to be said for, you know, are we, it, when we take that approach, are we doing the very same thing that we initially stood against in terms of, you know, because is that now you the dominant 
force in the classroom now just kind of imposing your will on the the young minds you know like and it's kind of counterproductive you know to to the movement of intellectualism so you know and, and we could there's many that to debate that um but i think that it is good that you that you brought that up and, and i thank you for sharing that so and i think i wanted to add something else before we move on i think it's um it's indirect ways where i can kind of you know subtly uh slide in my perspective and, and that's when i curate my material for class because I, I get a lot of autonomy as far as like hitting on my standards okay. um so you know I, I pick and choose my primary sources or what mm -hmm. aspect of the deal. So we're about to study the African-American experience in the uh, CCC, which is one of the New Deal programs. Mm -hmm. so I got a source of it from, from like the NAACP, like their, their cert, like their, uh, they did like a profile on someone and letters from black people. Wow. Their wow. Experience. So that's my way of curating to make sure that they get like this historical context that's playing to today and how, while we're skeptical of government uh, programs wow. and, and the intentions of it because of this. So I'm curating it without telling you how I feel, but you're able to pick up on what I'm dropping. So if you pay close attention, <laughs> I love it. I love. No, I, I feel you. I feel you. It's like you designing that soundtrack. It's like you producing the album. And like, yo, these are tracks. I'm a and in it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, yo, can we talk? Um, you know, a little bit about mental health. Um, and, and I, and I'm, I don't claim to be an expert on mental health. Um, but I guess what I really want to talk about is, you know, a lot of times in communities, you know, I know communities that I serve, um, there's been trauma, you know, in, in young people, they've, they've been, they have been and continuously deal with, uh, you know, trauma and processing trauma, even the adults in communities are, are constantly processing trauma. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, those traumatic experiences that some of our young folks are dealing with? And then as a teacher, um, you know, how that impacts the classroom? Um, you know, and, and that's, I think this is a benefit to me coming from the community I come from and teaching in the community similar to where I come from. Like, you know, we so accustomed to, you know, the circumstances in the hood that we normalize it and it's dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. It's dysfunctional and we just, you know, pass it off as normal. And me telling my students based off of my upbringing, like, listen, this is not normal. So let's stop normalizing this. And, and it's all come to me based off of the things I've read. Like they had us read over the sum of the deep as well. And that book, I love this book. Uh, it's by uh, Nate, Dr. Nadine Birch Harris. Uh, and it's pretty much talking about how she she's like a, a pediatric pediatrician and she's talking about ACE scores. and mm. That whole A scores and, and and her theory is how you know depending on your, the high your A score how it um you know manifests itself in, into you having all these chronic illnesses later in life and um or making you susceptible to all these chronic illnesses and and that comes from our environment and um you know I, I think it's so important I love the 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 mental health awakening that we're coming because the black community is tends to be very superstitious like I always push back on it. Black people in the hood always saying, oh, when someone's having an obvious psychotic episode, oh, they slip, somebody slipped them something in their drink. True. Like, I, that pisses yeah. me off when people say yeah. that. Like, that was always the, the way we describe people who back in the day might have was released from Marlboro because they lost funding. Mm -hmm. or they mm -hmm. something, like, no, 
they're they need mental health like they need mental health like treatment um so you know with kids in my hood you know what i mean like in in the, in the uh schools i work with you know it just we have to be let them identify what's what's normal what isn't normal but also provide resources so they can uh you know deal with their problems however and this is why i spoke to you about in the inbox right because sometimes mm-hmm. people that could be manipulative like they see some people that are very overly uh sympathetic and they not exploit that so so i don't gotta yeah. turn to five assignments because yeah. you know what i mean i'm feeling sad and yes. i gotta give i gotta give them a pass like instead of like no i'll give you yeah. time but you're gonna do this yes. so it, it's a tough balance with knowing mental uh like knowing what's considered a legitimate in- mental health issue or a stress that they have and, and holding them accountable or just being giving them some grace um so that's the hardest part about education right now because we very sensitive to that but you know, me philosophically, I, I'm still struggling with with what I should be sim- sympathetic of and what yeah. I should, you know, hold them accountable for. And because you know, when we when we don't hold them accountable, we're, at, we're lowering expectations for them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, all right, but how do I get you the support that you need? Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about, you said a lot. You know, you, you talked about these. Um, first of all, you talked about normalizing you know, uh, whether it's trauma or dysfunction Mm -hmm. um, in that our community, we have to make sure we're not doing that. Um, That we got to call out. It's funny because I always when 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 I when you said that normalizing dysfunction, it reminded me of um, the movie Juice. Mm -hmm. Um, And when the character uh, when Tupac's character uh, is I think he's about to shoot. I forget which which character, but um, the characters are slipping my mind right now, but one of them was like, "Yo, yo, don't you get enough of this? Like this, this ain't this ain't it." You know what I'm saying? And it was like, it was kind of like, you know, Tupac's character was it was becoming normal to kill, mm-hmm. and it was like, "Yo, this our environment. This how we. This is us." And mm-hmm. you know, um, bro was like, "Nah, bro, this ain't it." You know, so <laughs> I think calling out that, um, you know, like, "Nah, this ain't normal." I think that's mm-hmm. important. Those adverse childhood experiences, you refer to them as ACEs. Um, mm-hmm. Parent educators out there, I urge you research those adverse childhood experiences. There are yeah. ten of there are ten of them, yeah. um, and I'm not going to you know sit here and, and, and name through them now. But what they basically come up come up to say is like, yo, if these situations were going on in your childhood, in your household, or in your community environment, um, they believe it or not, are still having an impact on you today, <laughs> you know? Um, and when not acknowledged and normalized, it only perpetuates and furthers, you know, the impact. We, you know, if you haven't read it, um, put it on your list. You may have read or you may be familiar with the work, but we have a book club and we were reading um, the um, the developmental psychology of the black child by Dr. Amos Wilson. And when you when you reached when you uh, spoke of uh, Nadine Burke's work, I was like, you know, I got to read that. And I've heard of the, her work, but I'm like, I got to read that deep as well, because it sounds like, you know, the, the book that that uh, Dr. Amos Wilson wrote over 50 years ago is similar <laughs> to some of the stuff that that Dr. Burke is doing, you know, in her work and with the deep as well. So thanks for dropping that that jewel. Mm-hmm. So 
as we, you know, as we move on and, you know, we, it's, I can talk, for, we could talk for days, man. I think it's, it's just, it's, it's solid, it's solid, hot conversations, man. It's, it's definitely fire and it's definitely needed. Um, one of the things that I always like to do uh, with our guests is reach, reach back to them and say, listen, if you could reach back to um, the high school version of Isaiah in this case, you know, what would be some advice that you would give to your high school self? I would tell myself to stay true to my dreams. Um, like, you know, I, I wanted to be a broadcaster, right? Like that was my first dream. I wanted to be like Stuart Scott, rest in peace to Stuart Scott. I wanted to be on SportsCenter and, and, and I pursued that indirectly. I remember I did like, uh, I used to do morning announcements. Mm -hmm. I, had little, I had like the, I had little catchphrases and everything. Uh -huh. I used to be like, have a good day, you heard me? Like that was like, early. and I did radio. So I would just say, yo, stay true and just keep pushing. Like it's better to fail trying instead of failing because you think something don't work. And I always told my students, I use an analogy, like don't get stuck in the, um, the triple threat position, like a basketball, mm. like stay out that mm. triple threat position. You, you shoot the ball past the rock or dribble. Don't stay there. Like, <clears throat> like, true. so shoot the rock, shoot it. And, 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 if you miss, at least you get that wisdom from missing rather than that regret from not knowing if you would have made that shot. So that's what I would tell myself. Like, yo, shoot the shots, man. Take them. I, I like that. I like that, man, that triple threat analogy, you know, because we do, we get stuck. Dr. Martin Luther King called it the paralysis of analysis. Mm -hmm. like, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop staying stuck you know, uh, in, you know, philosophizing or theorizing, like, oh, you know, is this, it? nah, make the move, do, do the, do the thing. So I think that, you know, those are, those are definitely, um, good, good words and wise words to, to live by. Um, I want to, you know, I want to open it up. And if there's anything, you know, you would like to, to bring to the table, um, as we close, uh, if there's anything that you would like to, to say, some closing remarks, um, we would definitely like to hear those. Um, one of the things that I want to close with, or just with black people, I just feel like, you know, we get mad at uh, other communities for treating us as a monolith, as if we all mm. we lack diversity in thought, and we impose that on ourselves. And I feel like if people aren't, like, it makes us afraid to, to uh, express some cognitive dissonance because we're afraid of our, our blackness will be called into question. And that's to me, that's like one of the biggest insults to call someone a queen. Uh, they don't think like the rest of the black people, and and, and I, I just get frustrated with that, or and, or will discredit everyone's whole resume over one opinion, and I just think that's so dangerous of us to discredit our leaders who put work in our community for years and years and have you know done so much based off of one opinion that's unpopular. Um, so I just think you know we need to to show more grace and, and, and recognize nuance. Everything is not black and white. It, it's literally uh, a lot of gray areas. And um, we need to just take the time to, to think deeply because, you know, people are, are honing more in on the more controversial takes and uh, going with the emotional, like viral, whoever's like popular with their opinion, you know, we're ten taking that opinion and making it our own rather than us thinking critically. And, uh, that group think is real dangerous. You know, uh, it just it just frustrates me how all these people who are viral for just sharing opinions but not putting forth any work in it. Like you ain't put no work in, but you telling me mm -hmm. 
Like, all you all is philosophy. All you all is just social media. And and these people are becoming too strong in our in our culture, and, and it, it upsets me sometimes. Like like I, I honestly I like I'm very careful what I put out on my social media. Like I have some opinions I know pissed mm. off about that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not even gonna argue with my people publicly. That's nothing too. I feel like if we want to talk about this, you know, strengthening our black community, let's treat each other um, like family. Like I'm not gonna go against the family in public. Don't be mm. a lot of Fredo. You know what I mean? People being like Fredo off of Godfather, and they'll come at somebody publicly. Mm. Let's talk about this behind closed doors. And especially if we have the same mission, like if we go to the same destination, just because we take two different routes, don't mean your destination is better than mine. Don't take mine, my back. I'm not gonna do yours. So let's 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 you know keep that family energy all the way around. Yo, that you know, you know, I'm mad that that you closing on that. Cause that like, <laughs> there's so much that you know, which which lets me know we definitely gonna need a second episode because, yo, that that part in it in it, that fear is causing people not to speak truth and yeah. not to you know be so it yo it's so real that that cancel culture, you know, is so real, man. Um, and and it's it's so complex, yeah. um, and it is hushing. Um, but but also when you talked about that monolithic approach, like we you know we can't put every black person in the same bag. Um, you know, I just think about how growing up, you know, it was almost like I was taught, uh, we were taught even in our schools, schooling and education that um, and through media that Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King were somehow these adversaries that we had to constantly pit against each other, you know? And, but then when you really get deep into the work, you understand, like you said, yo, there was one common cause, but there were different ways to approach, you know, attacking it, you know? So I, I think that, you know, that conversation, especially among, you know, our intellects, um, uh, I think is is really really important conversation to have, yeah. bro. You 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 definitely rep today, man. I you know I'm you know I'm not surprised. Um, I know one thing: the students that you have are in great great hands. Um, you. you know, and, and you're only going to grow. You know, we, we when we were talking off air, you were saying, you know, I've only been in, on this journey for three years, and then you change and correct it to profession. And I'm like, nah, bro, it is a journey. Like this education thing is a journey. Um, and we, you know, we salute you here at Purpose and Practice, and we definitely, definitely consider you family. Um, you, you know, and yes, and, and we 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 love the energy that you brought here today. Um, and we will be in touch for, you know, we're gonna have to do something a little bit more, uh, maybe on the second episode. But absolutely, man. Uh, Thank yeah. you for the platform and sharing the platform. Yeah, I really appreciate that. No doubt, no doubt. And like I said, you know, if you need anything, any support uh, from from a professional standpoint, yo, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't I be afraid to reach out to to the purpose and practice community, to our family. Uh, we want to salute the brother Isaiah Jones for doing the work that he's doing in the community, uh, in his own community, his greater community. He's doing the work. Uh, we salute you, and to all of you out there as you're preparing for your week. Make sure you keep in mind that what you are doing is for the people. Uh, it is for yourself, but it is for the people. And make sure that you're creating opportunities for people to prosper and do well. So I wish you all peace. I wish you love and I wish you happiness. The Purpose and Practice podcast with Dr. Rawls. We are signing out. Peace. It's a non-core banger. 
Dr. Ross dropping knowledge to the masses. Make you now tuned in the purpose and practice. Ayy, yeah, purpose and practice. Keep your mental sharp, uh, learn all the tactics. Dr. Ross dropping knowledge to the masses. Make you now tuned in the purpose and practice. Ayy, yeah, purpose and practice. Podcast game, ayy, he got it mastered. It's a non-core banger.